everyone, and welcome to the Live Through Jesus podcast with Courtney Gilmore. On this episode, sharing our experiences with God, being prideful, and a heavenly inheritance. Numbers 20. All scripture is read from the New King James Version. Quickly before we get started, if you're new to Live Through Jesus, make sure you go to livethroughjesus.com and sign up to receive your free five-week Bible study over Abraham. There you'll also find blog posts that coincide with the teachings on this podcast and social media links, which is another way to keep in touch throughout the week. Okay, let's get started. So we know it's wrong to be prideful, but why is it such a big deal? First of all, it's just an unattractive quality, isn't it? It isn't enjoyable to be around somebody that thinks that they're better than you or somebody that thinks that they know more than you do, even if they do. Being prideful keeps us focused on ourselves and not on other people, and that's why nobody likes to be around somebody like If we think we know everything, then we have no reason to listen to anyone else or learn anymore. This is all annoying enough whenever it involves relationships with other people, but putting ourselves over God, thinking or acting as if we know more than Him or that we could ever be better than Him at anything, is whenever it starts getting dangerous. At the least, this keeps us from listening to Him and learning from His teaching And then, at its worst, we just have no use for it. And by elevating ourselves, we not only pull ourselves away from God, but we draw others away too. That's what Satan did. He tried to elevate himself over God and pulled other people over to his side and then promptly got himself kicked out of heaven and also a third of the angels that had joined him. And then he came to earth and he tempted Adam and Eve and he appealed to them in the exact same way. He told them that, Eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil would make them like God, and that's why God didn't want them to eat it. And so it's all about wishing you could be like God. That was the fall of mankind. And so when it comes down to it, our pride elevates us over other people, possibly even God, and that's why it's so dangerous. Today, we're going to watch as the pride of a great leader sadly leads to his fall. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to start this episode by reading the passage. And then I'll remind you about what happened previously with the Israelites after we finish reading. So this is Numbers 20, 1 through 13. It says, Then the children of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month. And the people stayed in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. Now there was no water for the congregation, and so they gathered together against Moses and Aaron. The people contended with Moses and said, If only we died when our brothers died before the Lord. Why have you brought up the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness that we and our animals should die here? Why have you made us come out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It's not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there any water for us to drink. So Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the door of the tabernacle of meeting and fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them there. 
And the Lord spoke to Moses and said, Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together. Speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock, and give drink to the congregation and their animals. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he had commanded him. Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Here now, you rebels, must we bring water for you out of this rock? And then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation and their animals drank. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and said, Because you didn't believe me to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. This was the water of Meribah, because the children of Israel contended with the Lord, and he was hallowed among them. So, after 38 years of wandering in the wilderness, this is a new generation of Israelites that have come to Kadesh. Remember, their fathers had sent spies from this exact place into the Promised Land almost four decades ago. And those spies reported that even though the land was good and it was flowing with milk and honey, just as God had said, that the strength and the stature of the people that were living there was just too great. And so, out of fear... That generation rejected their inheritance, and God sent them into the wilderness to wander around until they died. Now, this passage is written at the beginning of the 40th year from whenever their fathers had left Egypt at the Exodus, and now their children are arriving again as they prepare to enter the land themselves. And then within the month, Miriam died. This is Moses' sister, and she was buried there. And then, just as their fathers did whenever they were there, they started complaining again that there was no water. They seemed to think that they were going to die there too for some reason, and they wondered why God didn't just kill them all in the wilderness if they weren't going to make it to the promised land anyway. It's such a shame that God had provided for them for 39 years by this time, and they still didn't trust Him with their basic needs. I really just don't quite understand it. The only thing I can think of is that maybe they were just too young to remember when their parents had had similar situations and God had helped them through. And maybe they just never told their kids about all the miraculous ways that God had taken care of them. I don't know. If you think about it, we probably do this too. Sometimes we try to shield our kids from all the adult struggles because we know how burdened we are and they're just too young to worry about the same same things that we do. So a lot of times we shield them from that, but then even when they're older, we don't bother to tell them. Even when they're young, we could at least tell them after God helps us. You know, we could say, Hey, I didn't mention this before because I didn't want you to worry about it, but I was really concerned. And then I prayed and God changed everything. And so now we're okay, but it's not because of anything that I did. And we aren't just lucky that everything worked out. God is the one that worked everything out for us. We should at least do things like that for our kids. But a lot of times 
I'm afraid we don't. And it seems like this first generation of Israelites didn't either. And so now their children are finding themselves in the same situations as their fathers. And instead of being able to say, hey, I remember when my parents said that this same thing happened to them, that they didn't have any water and they worried. But then Moses went to God and he provided for them. And so surely he's going to do the same thing for us. You know, maybe we should just ask him. Um, instead of doing that, they panicked and they complained and they worried exactly like their parents. They weren't able to learn from what their parents went through because, I don't know, maybe their parents didn't share it with them. That's what I'm assuming. But even though they didn't learn from their parents, we can learn from their parents and we can learn from these Israelites too. And, and it can help us to remember to teach our kids the things that we learn about God through our own experiences at the time. And even years later, whenever the opportunity arises, we should tell the, our kids the things that God has done for us so they can learn from them. And so just before we move on, I just want to give you a couple of verses that talk about this, about sharing our experiences with God. So the first one is a passage, and it's found in Psalms. And then the next two are just one verse each. So the first one is Psalm 78, 1 through 8, and it says, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ear to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he's done. For he's established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a new law in Israel, which he commanded to our fathers, that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, the children who would be born, that they might rise and declare them to their children, that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commands. And may not be like their fathers, a stubborn, rebellious generation, a generation that didn't set its hearts aright and whose spirit wasn't faithful to God. So they realized that it's not a good idea to hide the things that God has done from your children because when you tell them, then it gives them hope in all the things that God can do and it helps them to see what to do and what not to do in their own lives. As a matter of fact, this verse says that because of that, they needed to share it with their children and then their children needed to share it with their children and so on because this is how they would learn from God. They'd learn who he was and what he did and then they'd see what's good and right to do and what's wrong and how it hurts people when they don't follow him. And so that's the same reason that we're reading passages like this today and telling them to other people because we want to teach who God is and what he can do and show that following him and trusting him is beneficial and going your own way and not believing in him is not. Okay, now Proverbs twenty twenty nine says, The glory of young men is their strength, and the splendor of old men is their gray head. So the young people are physically strong, but the older we get, then the stronger we get spiritually and emotionally and mentally. We grow in wisdom through our experiences, and so we should share that wisdom with the people that haven't lived long enough to know it. it says that's our glory. 
And then Joel 1.3 says, tell your children about it. Let your children tell their children and their children another generation. So it's pretty clear that we need to tell others what God has done for us so that they know what he can do for them. But the first generation of the Israelites must not have done this because their children are experiencing the exact same thing that they went through and it never occurs to them to just ask God for help. Thankfully, Moses and Aaron had lived through this before and they knew that God had helped them before and so they went straight to him. And God told them to do the same thing that they had done with the previous generation with just one small but very important difference. They were supposed to gather the people and then tell the rock to give up its water. The first time with their fathers, whenever their fathers didn't have any water, God told Moses to hit the rock and then that the rock would give them water. But this time he didn't. He says, just say the words. That's all you have to do. But if you remember in the verse that we read, Moses didn't just say the words. He hit the rock twice and then the water came from the rock. And just by not doing this one little thing exactly like God told him to do, God was really angry with Moses. And he said, because of this one thing, Moses wasn't even able to take the Israelites into the promised land. And so on the surface, this sounds like a pretty extreme reaction, right? It seems like Moses is just doing what he did before. He probably didn't think anything of it. It's just, this is what I did before, so I'm just doing the same thing again. He didn't really think much about the distinction. That's what it seems like on the surface. But let me read to you again what he said before he hit the rock. This is verse 10. Hear now, you rebels. Must we bring water for you out of this rock? So first, he called the people rebels. And he asked if him and Aaron were going to have to bring water from this rock for them. And so why did he call them rebels specifically? Seems like maybe he's trying to prove something to the rebels. Do you think that maybe him and Aaron were still trying to prove their capability to the people and show them that God had chosen them? And so, and by providing the water for them in this miraculous way, it would again say, you know, we're God's chosen people. Remember the last few episodes, we talked about how some of the people were rejecting Moses and Aaron as leaders and God had to prove to them that they were chosen by him. And so maybe they were just still trying to prove themselves to those people that kept rebelling. I don't know. Whatever the reason is, it's clear, though, that they were magnifying themselves by saying, we're going to have to give you water out of this rock. There's no mention of God. They left him out completely. They gave God no glory, no credit, no distinction as the only one with the power to do something like this. As a matter of fact, it seems like they acted like they did have the power to do it and they were the ones that did it. And so by just doing this tiny thing different, they were causing the people to believe in themselves and not in God. And that's why God said in verse 12, because you didn't believe me and hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Basically, you didn't hold me up as holy. You didn't set me apart. You didn't show them that I'm the only one that can do things like this. 
And so that's why you're not able to bring the people into the land that I've given to them. Later on in Numbers, and then again in Deuteronomy, God talks about this same instance again, and he says that it was because Moses and Aaron were rebellious and unfaithful and irreverent. And so why did he use these labels? Well, they were going against him by giving themselves credit instead of God, so that's rebellious, right? And then they broke away from God to exalt themselves. That's being unfaithful. And then they didn't give him the honor that he deserved. God said, you failed to hallow me. You failed to give me the honor that I deserve. And so that is irreverent. So we've established that he has done some things wrong, but still, why is the punishment so harsh? Well. By taking credit, they're almost presenting themselves as powerful as a God. And that kept the people from recognizing the one and only true God, right? And so God wasn't going to let them take credit for bringing them into the promised land too. Remember when we talked about Satan and when we talked about Adam and Eve, all of it was about being like God or being like a God. They're trying to elevate themselves. and so. Satan got kicked out of heaven for this. Adam and Eve earned death for the whole human race <laughs> because of this very thing. And so it is a big deal if you pull all the glory to yourself and take it away from God and make other people think, hey, I'm the one that did this. I'm as good as God. You can trust in me. Believe in me. No need for God. Whether Moses was trying to do that or not, that is... What was happening? He failed to hallow God to the people. He failed to show the people, hey, God is better than me. He's better than Aaron. He's better than all the people. He can do things for you that you can't, that we can't. And so this is him doing this and he's the one that you look to. And so God said, if you're going to take credit for things that I've done, I can't let you take them into the promised land because then you'll try to, try to take credit for that too. The leader that brought him into the promised land needed to be somebody that was going to help the people trust in God and not trust in him. They're starting a whole new nation that's built completely on God. And so that leader has to be able to point them to God instead of to his own leadership. And so here's just a couple of verses about pride. The first one, Proverbs 29, 23. A man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. So if Moses would have remained humble, then he would have retained honor. But instead, his pride brought him low. Matthew twenty three twelve, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So again, if he would have humbled himself, then God would have exalted him. But instead, he exalted himself, and so God had to humble him. This is the natural course, so we got to take note of this. And then in John 3.30, John the Baptist says about himself in contrast to Jesus, he says, He, Jesus, must increase, but I must decrease. He knew that for the people to grow closer to Jesus, then he's going to have to push the people away from himself and towards Jesus. 
And that's what Moses should have done. He should have pointed the people to God instead of himself. Say, don't look at me. I'm not the one doing this. This is all him. But he did the complete opposite of that. And that's not the kind of leader that needed to be there to start their country under God. God needed somebody that was going to point the people to him. And so it really was a big deal what Moses did. All right, let's keep reading in Numbers twenty fourteen to 21. It says, So Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom. Thus says your brother Israel, You know all the hardship that has befallen us, how our fathers went down to Egypt, and we dwelt in Egypt as a long, for a long time. And the Egyptians afflicted us and our fathers. But when we cried out to the Lord, he heard our voice, and he sent the angel and brought us up out of Egypt. Now here we are in Kadesh, a city on the edge of your border. Please let us pass through your country. We won't pass through fields or vineyards, and we won't drink any of the water from your wells. We'll go along the king's highway, and we won't turn to the right or to the left until we've passed through your territory. But Edom said to them, You cannot pass through my land lest we will come out against you with the sword. So the children of Israel said to them, But we'll go by the by the highway, and if our livestock drink any of your water, then I'll pay you for it. Just let us pass through on foot, please. And Edom again said, No, you cannot pass through. So Edom came out against them with many men refusing to give Israel passage through this territory, and so Israel had to turn away. And then in Deuteronomy, it, it explains the same passage, but it gives a little bit more information. So I want to read it to you. Deuteronomy 2, 1 through 8 says, Then we turned and we journeyed into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea, as the Lord had spoken to me, and we skirted Sire for many days. And then God said to us, You've skirted this mountain long enough. Turn northward. Command the people and say, You're about to pass through the territory of your brother, the descendants of Esau, who live in Sire, and they will be afraid of you. So watch yourselves carefully. Don't meddle with them, for I will not give you any of their land. No, not so much as one foot, because I have given Mount Sire to Esau as a possession. You shall buy food from them with your money that you may eat, and you shall buy water with from them with your money that you may drink. For the Lord your God has blessed you in the work of your hand. He knows you're trudging through this great wilderness. These 40 years the Lord your God has been with you. You've lacked nothing. But then when we passed beyond our brothers, the descendants of Esau who dwelt in Sire, away from the road of the plain, away from Elah, we turned and passed by the way of the wilderness of Moab. So just a little explanation here in case you're unfamiliar with these groups of people. The people of Edom were the descendants of Esau, and the Israelites were the descendants of Jacob. Now Jacob and Esau were brothers, and so these two men made up these two nations, and these two men were Abraham's grandsons. And remember, Abraham is the one that God promised the land to in the first place. God said that it would belong to his descendants. Now, Esau was the oldest one, and he should have been the one that got the promised land. 
But Jacob tricked him out of the full inheritance. And so he doesn't get that. But God still did give him and his family a piece of land of their own. And that's the land he's talking about here, the land of Sire. So nobody else, not even the Israelites, had any right to it. And they had to ask permission if they wanted to go through it. And so that's what God told them to do. He said, ask permission of Edom to go through their land. Make sure you pay for all the food and drink that you have. Don't get on any of their private property. Just stay on the main highway and, you know, tell them you'll do that and then see if they'll let you through. And so that's what they did. And uh, Edom's like, no, you can't go through we're not, we're not going to allow that. And they even sent out a military blockade. And so Israel had to go around Edom to the east and then travel north to get to the promised land. So this is going to be a little bit longer trek for them. And that's why they were really trying to go through the land of Edom, but they weren't allowed. Now, before we move on, I just want to take a minute to reflect on what God did for Esau's family. Because the promised land was going to Jacob's family, but because God loved Abraham so much, he didn't leave any of his descendants out of his inheritance. Jacob got the promised land, but Esau got something too. And that's just such a beautiful picture because of his love for Abraham. He gave all of his descendants an inheritance. So because the heavenly father loved his children, he gave them an inheritance. And we too are his children. It's not just the Israelites. We actually have a heavenly inheritance that waits for us. And it's greater than anything he could have given us on earth. And coincidentally, this is the exact inheritance that Abraham actually received. And also his son Isaac and Esau and Jacob, his grandsons, all of them actually received the same inheritance that we received because remember, none of them lived long enough to actually inherit the earthly promised land. And so I want to read you what it says in Hebrews 11, 8 through 16 about Abraham not getting this land and actually receiving the heavenly inheritance that we'll all receive one day too. It says, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise, as in the foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised it. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky in the multitude innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. All of these died in faith, not having received the promises. But having seen them afar off, they were assured of them, and they embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Therefore, those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, then they would have had the opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he's prepared a city for them. 
And so this confirms that they died not having received the earthly promises that God had for them, but looking forward instead to the heavenly country that all of us are going to receive as his children. And then in Titus, it talks too about this inheritance that we will receive. And so this is Titus 3, 4 through 7. It says, But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior towards man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, which he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And then lastly, 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that doesn't fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. This place never goes away, and it's already reserved for us. Just like the promised land sat there just waiting for the Israelites to arrive, our heavenly home sits there waiting for us to arrive. How wonderful is that, right? But I'm getting off track thinking about heaven, so I want to move on with the rest of the narrative of this lesson. So I'm going to read the rest of Numbers 20, beginning in verse 22. Now the children of Israel, the whole congregation, journeyed from Kadesh and came to Mount Hor. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in Mount Hor by the border of the land of Edom. And it said, Aaron shall be gathered to his people, for he also shall not enter the land that I have given to the children of Israel, because he rebelled against my word at the water of Meribah. Take Aaron and Eleazar his son and bring them up to Mount Hor and strip Aaron of his garments and put them on Eleazar his son for Aaron shall be gathered to his people and die there. So Moses did just as the Lord had commanded him and they went up to Mount Hor in the sight of all the congregation. Moses stripped Aaron from his garments and he put them on Eleazar his son and Aaron died there on the top of the mountain. Then Moses and Eleazar came down from the mountain and all the congregation saw that Aaron was dead, and they all mourned for him for thirty days. So not only was Moses not allowed to take them into the promised land anymore, but neither was Aaron, because he had joined Moses in magnifying himself instead of magnifying God. Now I just have to say, though, that Aaron was a really poor leader without his brother anyway. Pretty early on, forty years before, Moses had read the Ten Commandments to the people, of which two of them were don't make any carved images and don't worship any other gods. And then he went up on the mountain to talk with God. And in less than 30 days, the people had panicked and thought that Moses was gone and asked Aaron to make them an image to worship. And Aaron did this. And so he can't lead the people without his brother. And Moses isn't going into the promised land. So it's only fitting that he also wouldn't. Also, it's just good for the new generation to enter with new leadership. And so Joshua's going to take Moses' place as their leader. And then Aaron's oldest living son, Eleazar, is going to take his place as high priest. 
And so on the first day of the fifth month, in the 40th year after the Exodus, it says that Aaron died on Mount Hor when he was 123 years old. And then it talks about the time of mourning, and it says, you know, a normal time for mourning would have been like a week, but they mourned for a whole month for him, just like they would eventually do for Moses. And this just shows that they did honor Aaron. What we can learn most from this lesson today is just not to be like Moses and take all the glory for ourselves. Don't do good deeds so that other people will see what we're doing and they'll praise us and they'll say, oh, how wonderful Courtney is. I think she just does a great job and we're just so excited about her. That's not what it's about. Everything that we do should point other people to God. We never, ever want to take the glory for ourselves because when we take it for ourselves, then we pull it away from him and to us. And so what we want to do is we want to push it away from ourselves to God. If Aaron, if Moses would have done that, then he would have taken the children all the way into the promised land. He had started this journey with them. It had been 40 years, and then now God won't let him finish out what he started, and it's all just because he wasn't pointing the people to God. He was drawing them to himself. So don't do that. (laughs) We need to be very, very careful that all of our actions, all of our words point to God, and if they don't, at least they don't pull people away from him and point them to us. Okay, so next week we're going to hear about the first battles that this group of Israelites encounter as they head to the promised land. So don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss that episode. Leave me a five-star review and comments wherever you're listening. You can also find my email at livethroughjesus.com. And if you haven't, make sure to sign up for the free Bible study and weekly email updates. Also, follow me on all social media at Live Through Jesus. Thanks and have a good day.